So I wanted this episode to be about my background story and for you really to, to get insight into how I've reframed my mindset, why I've reframed my mindset and why I think it's important in, in this particular day and age of exponential change that we're all facing right now. So, you know, I, I go back to, to my childhood, a very happy childhood growing up in the, the 70s and 80s. And, you know, at that time, when you think about it, there was no mobile technology, there was no social media, and the challenges that you faced with in this day and age with, with all of that stuff. And it was quite a, a great time from a music perspective, you know, the films. I remember growing up with Star Wars, Indiana Jones, you know, it's the E.T. generation and Back to the Future and all the music that went with that as well. So pretty good time and you can knock about the streets and feel pretty safe. Um, and that was great because we had, you know, play football on the, on the street corners. We, we had the BMXs, you know, we did the break dancing at the time when it was all the rage and, you know, went through all the fashion trends at that, that particular time as well. And what I do remember is, as I remember at the age of eight, I remember being top boy in the school, I remember being the top footballer and going out with the, the best looking girl at the time. And um, when I went to middle school, I got to middle school, I didn't grow. And, you know, that's, at the time, it was quite devastating because everybody else was growing. It was like my life stopped. Um, but the amazing thing with that is that to survive back then, I had to use my head. So I started doing quite a bit of reading and I always remember reading Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien and escaping to Middle Earth. I always wanted to, felt like I should have been in a, in a different world to everybody else. And slowly and surely started reading philosophy and psychology. So Frederick Nietzsche and Carl Gustav Jung and some of the Greek philosophers as well. And kind of asking those questions as why are we here and what does it mean to live a happy life? And it was quite quite deep when I, when I was young. And, when you, when you go from there is that you've got to survive and you've got to adapt no matter what you're faced with in life and for me that was the way that I adapted when I was young and I guess without knowing I was already starting to reframe my mindset. Now I lacked confidence when I was young and I lacked confidence from the age of eight with not growing until about 16. When I got to 16 I went to do martial arts with the lads in the local rugby club and the lads played rugby, I, I played football, and they, they said, come down, this guy will teach us, and he's brilliant, his name's Steve Richards, and he's learned all kinds of styles, from Wing Chun to Hot Gar, and we were learning Southern Praying Mantis, Bamboo Forest Temple Kung Fu, and um, it, it was brilliant, it was amazing, it gave me so much confidence. You know, and on a family tree of, of learning it from, from Steve, um, we, was, we were something like three degrees down from Bruce Lee, which was quite amazing at the time, as you can imagine. I'm not, not in any way, shape or form comparing myself to Bruce Lee, by the way, because he was just a phenomenon. Um, and obviously I started and introduced him in the first episode, which is to be like water. And I'll come back, like, I'll come back about that, because it's quite important. So from learning martial arts, that gave me a lot of confidence. And the reason being is because when I started sparring, um, even the guys who were six foot tall couldn't get near me because it was that fast. And that's because I learned the style I learned the techniques and I applied speed and it made me realise that I could defend myself and the confidence in that was such a confidence building activity. I recommend martial arts or anything like it to, you know, to anybody. It's well worth learning, especially at a young age. So from there, I also played football and I did the martial arts for a number of years, but always played football. And 
in the end, I started picking up a few injuries from martial arts. So I took everything that I learned from it, you know, the, the kind of way of life and the philosophy from Bruce Lee. Um, and then I kept playing football. And I also went to match, and I went to match from a very young age. Fortunate that my dad took me. Um, we used to be in the Anfield Road end. And then we got season tickets when I was 15, 16. And Liverpool at that time were brilliant, so they did the double. I remember going to Wembley when we beat Everton. It was just an amazing experience going to Wembley for the first time. And from there, we, we followed Liverpool, you know, religiously. It's like, like a religion where I come from. I, I loved every moment of it. Now, the significant life experience that I had when I was young is that I was at the Hillsborough disaster. I'm, you know, very, very fortunate to survive, but unfortunate to be there and experience that as a young lad of 18. And I'll just explain it briefly because we'd been there the year before. We went to Hillsborough for the FA Cup semi-final the year before. And that's really what saved my life because we, we knew the ground, we understood the ground. And in 1989, when we went back for the semi-final again, um, we stayed in Sheffield the night before. We'd been through for a few drinks. We ended up in an Irish bar, had a great night. And the next day, I remember waking up with a hangover. So we went for a walk at the local park. and. Um, it's a beautiful day, and I remember walking with my dad and my mates, and eventually we set off to the, to the, to the ground to help for itself. And when we got there, this particular year, all the pubs around the ground were closed, so you couldn't get a drink. So it just made sense to, let's get in, you know, let, let's go and get in there. We always get in early, or earlier than we usually would. So we headed towards the ground, and the thing that you notice straight away is that it just wasn't organised as well as it was the year before, and like, all of the crowd was being sort of, pushed in the same direction towards towards the one end instead of maybe going round both sides of the, the, the ground and, and towards the end as well. And we ended up in what was a really big crush outside of the ground. It was really bad. And it was that bad they ended up being pinned to a police horse. You know, the police horse because I never want to be close to a police horse because the massive things. And I was pinned to and so was my mate. And I remember saying to me mate, look, why don't we get under the police horse? I think we might get in. And we did, we actually went under a police horse, you know, because the police horse couldn't move. And as we got under the police horse, we eventually just kind of shimmied our way through to the turnstile. And we got in, and as soon as you get in, all you see is the tunnel to get to, to, get to the pitch. So we ran to the tunnel, we ran down the tunnel, and then you just couldn't get in. It was already deep into the tunnel. You could barely see the pitch. And my mate said to me, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to, I want to stand in the, in the middle this year. We were in the stands last year, I want to get in the middle. He said, you're not going to get in the middle, what do you want to do? I said, oh, do you know what, I've got, I've got a hangover, why don't we just go round the other side? So having a beer the night before, also saved my life as well. But the fact that we knew to go round the other side, you know, it, it's dead obvious with the ground, you know there's a left, you know there's a right, you know there's a middle, so... But it's just knowing the ground, it, it really did, that and the night before. And I said, I've got a hangover, let's go round the other side. So we walked out of the tunnel, and within the two minutes I was walking out of the tunnel, and going round to the other side, the gate was opened. You know, the police gave the, the order, the stewards, um, they were there, opened the gate, and all of the fans ran in. And as I say, the first thing that they did was see the tunnel, and all ran for the tunnel. And actually, what a lot of people don't know is more people died in the tunnel than died at the front fences, because a lot of the photographs of the disaster were at the front, front pens, um, which were, were horrible photographs, I'll never forget them to this day. Now, how, how did that conclude for me? I'm very fortunate because eventually we knew something was wrong. I got lifted up into the stand and we watched, we watched with horror because at some point we started to understand 
the people were dying and they were being dragged onto the pitch. And it was devastating because we were there to watch a football game. And I remember, you know, just the fact that you stood there going, I can't really believe this is happening. Eventually we left the ground and went walked off where we to our checkpoints and my dad was so relieved because he knew that there was people dying there. And met my dad and all you could hear was ambulance after ambulance after ambulance as, as we left the ground. And I was 18 years old and I remember for weeks after walking around in a daze, you know, it was just the shock and feeling guilty that I was alive. It's a horrible feeling to feel guilty that you're alive. And I started to try and make some sense of the disaster and it, it took me a long time. And I know when I was young, you know, it was just easy then to, to go out and be around Liverpool and the bars and the clubs in Liverpool and just really lose myself at the time. But as I started to get older, I did start to make sense of it. And my viewpoint is, is we're conditioned by every single experience in life so much so we have default settings. One of my default settings from that day, it's a negative one, is I've got a fear of crowds. But my positive default setting, what I've really took, is that life's a gift. And uh, every day that I wake up in the morning, I think, I'm alive, I'm here. Because the 96 that died as a result of that tragedy are not here, so I'm one of the lucky ones. And life is a gift, it's a fact that it is a gift, it's there for you to make the most of it, each and every day. So I guess that experience for me reframed my mindset in life. And I was then fortunate to have what's been a great career up to date through, um, I worked when I was young after the disaster in, in a shop called Waitsmouth in Liverpool and went through to stock supervisor and I had some great times, you know, obviously out in Liverpool and eventually I moved to a bank called Capital Bank who were in Chester and he sold personal loans and one of my friends said to me, he said, come along do the job on the phone. You'll end up in the training department because you, you've got what it takes to stand up in front of people. So um, I did it, you know, got the job, was at Capital Bank. Now, to cut a long story short, I was at Capital Bank, we merged with Bank of Scotland, we merged with the Halifax, became HBOS. I was there 12 years, had a great time. Went to Barclay Card, met some amazing people and uh, uh, for a couple of years, did a lot of traveling. Um, did a lot of traveling just across the UK when I was at HBOS and Barclay Card. I eventually decided I wanted to get close to home and ended up at MBA in Chester. They were owned by Bank of America at the time. I then spent 12 years there. Brilliant place to work, just absolutely amazing, brilliant facilities and brilliant people. Um, and eventually Lloyd's Banking Group bought MBA. Um, and it was time for me then to, you know, close what I was doing down at MBA, uh, ready for a new chapter in my life. And I've since set up business, but my roles in the corporate world were mainly learning and developments leadership developments and organisational effectiveness roles and leadership. And I guess I've been really fortunate because if you think about the philosophy and the psychology that I was interested in when I was young, I was able to apply that. Um, obviously study mindset, uh, happiness, um, what makes people successful over the last 30 years and during that career to apply that to developing individuals and developing leaders and eventually get to the point where I was shaping the thinking of the organisation uh, that I was working in. So. I'm really privileged to, to be able to do that, those type of roles and to work with some amazing people. So from there, where am I now? I've got my own business, um, I've got two businesses. And the first business is I've got leadership consultancy for leadership architecture. So I help organizations build their leadership capability and define leadership for them, provide the appropriate solutions as well. I'm, I'm also a coach and I've also got the Mindset Journal company that I mentioned in 
the introduction uh, session as well. So I'll, I'll talk more about those at, at relevant times as we go. But I guess what I'm positioning right now is I, I work for myself. I'm the reframe your mindset. How have I got to that? How have I got to what I call the mindset equation for success? Now, it's based on another experience in my life. So I went the match with my dad for what was 40 years. We had some amazing times. And, Sadly, he passed away in 2016 and I was devastated, you know, as you can imagine. And it was when I went to his funeral. And when I went to his funeral, a light bulb dropped for me because so many people turned up for his funeral. And at the funeral, listening to his story and understanding what kind of a man he was, it made me realize that if I could be half the man that he was, then I've succeeded in life. But it also made me think that I could see his legacy there in front of me. And I guess the question that I was asking myself at that point in time is, what's my legacy going to be in life? You know, when people come, I don't want it to be anytime soon, when people come to my funeral, what will my legacy be? And I'd published a couple of books on mindset, but I hadn't done anything with them. And I thought, you know what, I've got to write that book. I've got to write, I've met a lot of famous people. I've met a lot of successful people. I've read a lot. I've learned so much from uh, my career is that I've now got to frame that into a book. And what came out of it was the mindset equation for success. So that's what I'm going to be sharing in, in this podcast. I guess how I'm going to, going to wrap this particular episode off is to say, well, if I was asking myself that question, what's my legacy going to be in life? My starting point for you would be, what's your legacy going to be in your life? When you think about the experiences that you've had in your life, when you think about what you've learned, when you, what you, when you think about what you've added to yourself, to other people, to make a difference in this life, what's your legacy going to be? Now, I look forward to talking to you in the next, uh, next episode about the burning platform that we all face in life right now.